Ken prayed that I might, the preacher, have wisdom, zeal, fidelity, and utterance. Working on wisdom. That goes to the choice of what do I share. Zeal. Come back to that. Fidelity. What comes should come from Scripture. And that's why I'll break it down this morning for you verse by verse and even word by word utterance I need that Uh, some of you are still trying to listen southern southern accent but I have zeal I've been very enthusiastic even excited this week about what we have to share together out of John 17 This is called uh, the high priestly prayer because Jesus, as a priest, he exercises the office of prophet. He speaks to it. Priest, he intercedes for us. King, he rules over us. Here, he's working as a priest. Uh, He's interceding for us. Now, you'll notice, make sure I got this, that the first five verses of this prayer, this high priestly prayer, is maybe even demarcated in your Bible. Jesus prays for himself. And the second part, Jesus prays for his disciples. Jesus prays to his Father. Jesus prays for his followers. So now we're in that part where he's not yet entered the intercessory part of the high priestly part he somewhere between the upper room and the garden of Gethsemane they paused and he prayed this prayer out loud and in these first few verses first five verses he is talking with his father about the plan of eternity and we will see that even more next week in verse four and then when we get into verse five this week verses two and three and Jesus lifted his eyes toward heaven and he prayed Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Verse 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. May God bless his word to his glory and our uh, benefit this morning. God is a great gift giver. He has given sunshine and rain, all this fruitful earth, to all human beings and creatures. Yesterday I was watching a squirrel in my backyard with my binoculars, and he was running out on the limb and eating something. And there are no nuts on the trees, so I was trying to figure out what he was eating. He was eating the bark off the limb. And something in the bark, and, I, and when he finished, the binoculars left about a six-inch uh, bare piece of limb. I'll have to research that. But God has provided for that squirrel. God is a gift giver. He's given us breath. He's given us life. And as Christians, he's given us new birth. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us spiritual gifts. He's given us this church while we're on earth, and then he's giving us heaven and eternal life and fellowship with his son and entrance into his presence. He is a gift giver. 
And that's why we take up an offering. One of the reasons during worship is to recognize as an act of worship, you gave us all this. Let us recognize it in, in voice and in prayer, but also by bringing something in our hands. In this verse, if you look at it, it's on page 8, the word give is used three times, and that is the outline of what I have to share with you this morning. Notice, you have given him authority, secondly, and secondly, uh, uh, you have given him a people, those you have given him, and third, so that the Son may give eternal life to those people. Three gifts. The first one, the Father's gifts to the Son. There are two of them, authority and a people, power and a people. Now, I've given you a lot of verses there this morning, and you can look some of them up later if you wish to. I won't use all of them this morning, uh, not to overburden you, but I will use some. And you'll see the order there. First, Psalm 2. Psalm 2, which was read this morning. Because it says in that, today I have begotten you. Today you have become my son. You see, in God's lifestyle, there is no today, tomorrow, yesterday. Time is a measure of change. If nothing ever changed, it would be hard to notice time, wouldn't it? God never changes. And when he decides something in his mind, it is accomplished at that point in time. That's why we hear about Jesus called the Lamb of God slain from all eternity. Now, we human beings witness it happen in time. So God, sometimes he talks about things now that aren't going to happen for a very long time. And then he recognizes different phases. So the father is talking in Psalm 2, today I have begotten you. Well, he's the only begotten son of God from all eternity. Something happened there. I have installed my king on Zion's holy hill. For example, I was uh, in touch with one of the churches we were up, up in Pennsylvania. And last Sunday, they burned the mortgage on their uh, church building. They went outside of town, built this huge building with a gym and kitchen and all sorts of things. And they created what looks like a public park in their parking lot because there's always people out there doing things. I've noticed that happens here too. And uh, they burned the mortgage. But before they did that, they went down to the bank and made the final payment. That meant the mortgage was dead. You know what mortgage means? Measure of death. Mort. Yeah, that's what a mortgage is. You're gauging, you're measuring steps to death, the payment. So they kill the mortgage. Bam, right there. It was done. Well, then why have a ceremony a week or two later? Because that's when they experienced the mortgage. That happened. No one saw it back in a bank. It happened actually electronically. Who knows where that happened? Maybe Russia. And so they burned it so that people could experience it. You see the same event occurs twice. So the father's telling the son in Psalm 2, today have begotten you, today you have become my son. So now we're talking about God's economy. It gets, uh, works on your brain there a little bit. And then Matthew 28 uh, uh, he gave him there in Psalm 2, he says, I'll give you authority over all the earth, and you shall rule with an iron scepter. And then it says, kiss the son, uh, fall down and kiss him, because he's so in charge, 
that if he gets mad at you, you're in a world of trouble. That's what it's talking about there. And the nations who there say, we're not going to have God rule over us. He says, I've installed my son as king over you. You may not like it. You may rebel against it. But it is fact because I am God. And so then you come to uh, 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 Philippians, which describes the same event from a different standpoint. And we'll come to that now and in future weeks. Matthew 28, Jesus then says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, or therefore go. See, we are sent out based on the authority that Jesus gave his son. And what does he say? I have given him, Jesus says, you've given him, you've given me authority over all flesh. He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. That's the same as authority all over all flesh. Can it be any clearer? All flesh, all human beings, men, women, children, all ages, all races, all tongues, uh, no matter mental capacity, no matter physical capacity, he is Lord over all flesh. Now, when did this occur? Romans tells us in Romans 1, 4, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. When he rose from the dead, having paid for the sins of his people, then God said, today you have become my son. He was the son from all eternity. But now what was the old television ad now he has earned it it's one thing to be a prince or a princess it's another thing to demonstrate being a prince or a princess you've been watching the uh, wedding you know, you get up early and watch the wedding I know my daughter did I, I watched a lot of scenes because there's a lot going on there and there's one scene that really touched me well there were two one what's the prince's name no his father Charles. Charles walked uh, Ms. Markle, you know, halfway down, very gracious of him to fill in. Then afterwards, he's coming down the steps of the church. On his left arm is his wife, Camilla. On his right arm is Ms. Markle's uh, single mom. Wasn't that gracious? It's one thing to be a prince. It's another to live like a prince. And Jesus said, I will give my life for my people. And God the Father said, if you do that, then I will declare you my son, king of all the earth. I'll give you all authority over all flesh. And then we're going to see what he did with it. Philippians 2, 9, God gave him the name that is above every name. Hebrews 1, 2. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Scripture is clear about this. Revelation 5, 9, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Worthy. And then what does it say in Philippians 2? Jesus did not consider authority with, uh, equality with God something to be grasped reach out and grab that's mine 
you bow because I'm the, I'm the son of God. He did not grasp it. He didn't say, this is mine. But he said he humbled himself, lower than any man, and therefore God highly exalted him. He didn't grasp it. He earned it. He didn't claim it. He demonstrated it. And because of that, the Father, because God must always do his best, and he must always recognize truth. And the Father did what he did. You are now my son. I recognize you. I give you authority over all flesh. Now, the reason that's important is because it's a big stick. Sometimes it's not easy to talk about the Lord to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, because the whole world pushes back, and it's pushing back harder and harder, it seems. And one of the ways it pushes back is by saying, who are you to tell me about sin and God and repentance? After all, there is no real truth. You know, we all have our opinion. When they say, who are you, they're saying, by what authority? And we say, by the authority of the risen, resurrected Lord of all the earth who has all the authority over all flesh. He's the one. He's the one that sent me. He's the one that told me to speak to you. I have a delegated authority from him who has authority over all flesh. Now shut up, sit down, and listen. <laughs> no, we don't say they do, that do it. Paul again and again says, with all gentleness and patience. Because when you got a big stick, what did Teddy Roosevelt say you're supposed to do? Walk softly. Because the stick itself is so big and so threatening and so downright scary at times, you have to speak softly so that you're not conveying a threat you're conveying an opportunity. You're conveying an invitation to know him who has all authority. But we need to think clearly in our mind and our heart that we have a delegated authority by he who has all authority over all flesh. There is not a human being to whom you can share about God that is not under Christ's authority, whether they acknowledge it or not. So realize the big stick that we've been given, but walk softly, speak gently, so that we don't frighten away the very person that needs to hear the message. So God has given him, first of all, authority over all people, and secondly, we'll skip ahead, he's given him a particular people, that he might give eternal life to all whom you have given him. To all you've given him. The Father said, out of all of humanity, I will pull out some people on my own choice. And I will give them to you as a present if you accomplish this. There's just one catch, Jesus, my son. 
They are polluted with sin. They are rebellious to my sovereignty. They are under my wrath. They will never enter my presence. They will spend all of eternity in outer darkness, away from my light, my fellowship, my love, my conversation, in darkness alone. Unless you pay for their sin. They will be yours if you can rescue them. If you will. But you've got to become human so you can live under the law and so you can die. Because God can't die, but a human being can. But you'll be fully human, but you'll also be fully God. So that your death will have infinite value. And whosoever will can have their sins paid for. And Jesus stepped up and said, they are worth it. I will do it. And his whole life was keeping the law like a perfect lamb. Thought, heart, deed. Omission, commission. He, He kept it all. And then he died for them. Jesus says in John 17, 6, we're going to come to this later. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. People out of the world that God gave him. This is getting pretty good. I'm getting zealous. Matthew 1. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him name Jesus. Joshua means saves, Yahweh saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. We're called a glorious inheritance. How did he inherit it? Because he died for us. And God gave it to him. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And then, whoa, that's like one of those Selah things in in the Psalms where you got to stop and think about that. It raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? A particular people of every tribe and language, age, genders, throughout all time, from Adam and Eve to the end, this great gathering of people is called the church invisible because we can't see a person's heart. We don't know fully until they stand before the judge of all the earth who judges justly what happened but we being human beings we go by what we can see and hear 
And so when a person says, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and begin living a life like that, we accept it. And so we put all those people together, and it's called the visible church. The invisible is all eternity, excuse me, all of time. Invisible is us sitting here this morning. You can't look out on the visible church and know. There's no color scheme. God knows. But we do know God draws people to himself. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And we do know that people that love Jesus want to hear his word and worship him and fellowship with other believers and serve him and give to him. So we begin to see that working out in the visible church. But it still raises the question, why don't all accept that offer? Because all have sinned, and that sin has clouded their mind, darkened the mind, hardened the heart, put the will in chains so we can't understand God, we can't believe and love God, and we can't serve God. And so that is what happens when God says, I'm going to take these people. I told you I believe in miracles. I've seen miracles. Jerry Curran, dark of mind, heart of heart, bound in chains in his will, understood and believed the gospel and followed Jesus. That's the biggest miracle you're ever going to see. Unless you look in the mirror. So he gave Jesus a people. And to those people, he enlightened their mind. He gave them a new heart, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. And he released their wills. He gave them new life so they could say, Jesus, Lord. We'll explore that a little bit more because that, that's just an incredible thing. God, the gift giver, he gave him authority, and then he gave him a people. And then Jesus, he, he specifies, so that, why did he give him a people? Where did my there go? So that he might give eternal life to all you have given him. All right? That's the marker. Eternal life. And then, and this is, now that's colon, definition. This is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's the holy inspired King James Version. It just sounds better. <laughs> eternal life. Eternal life. Now, what is that? He defines it. That they may know you. There are three or four different words in this Greek language that talk about know. Okay? There's one that's knowledge. I know that Queen Elizabeth II has to give permission for any of the royal family to marry. I know she was sitting in a pew and it was empty in front of her so that she would have an unobstructed view. I know a lot about this lady. I know her age. I know a lot about her. I know that she's the only person in England who doesn't have to have her driver's license or a tag on her car. But I don't know her. I've never met her. I can't bow low enough. I mean, you know, I can't meet her. 
See the different no's? This is the word for personally, experientially know. I don't know Queen Elizabeth, but I know a lot about her. And I also know that if you go up to a certain restaurant and you get a two-by-two-by-two two two that I learned from the green crew, you get two scrambled eggs, you get two like sausages, and you get two pancakes. And if you put butter on those pancakes and you put syrup on those pancakes and you put them in your mouth, you know <laughs> that's good eating. This is the word Jesus uses to know personally, to experience God, to know who he is and what he's like, to feel his character, to be able to speak with him in prayer, to be able to hear him speak to us in prayer, in, excuse me, through his word. Gnosko, to know. So let's break it down a little bit. Let's break it down a little bit. I've given it to you there. Four things about uh, eternal life. First of all, it's a present experience. Now, we're certainly got no, not going to go fully until we get to heaven. We just don't have the eyes or the capacity, you know, and we're weighted down and blinded by sin. But it doesn't start when you die because it says, no, not have the hope of knowing or future no when you die. He says, no, now, present. You see that? Listen to this. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word, said Jesus, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life, has eternal life. The moment, what is it? Okay, what does it say? Hears my word and believes in him who sent me. That moment has eternal life. That's when it begins. And we start living out because that's when the veil is torn and we can enter into the Holy of Holies and meet God. First of all, it is a present experience. If you believe on Jesus, you have eternal life now. We're already living in it. And that's why we live in two worlds. We're living here where our body is and we're living in heaven where our future is. Secondly, it's a personal experience. Jesus said in John 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. It's a personal experience. We do worship group, but it starts with us and Jesus because he knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. The next is a mediated experience, and this is the testimony, 1 John 5, 11. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Let me illustrate that to you. This Bible is Jesus. This paper is eternal life. There is life in his son. He who has the son has life. When you came to Jesus... That's when you received it, because it comes. Life is in the Son. Now, can I read you the rest of that verse? 
He who has the Son has life. He he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The blade just separated. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And when I was saying that we're doing campus ministry and I'd share with a student, he would say, I've got to think about it. That's great. Think about it. God wants you to. But let me read you a verse. Do you have the son? No, I've I've rejected I'm thinking about him. Then do you have life? No. Well, there's something to go think about. I want you to think about it. Do you have the son? Have you asked him to give you the grace of repentance for your sin? Have you asked him to be the Lord Jesus Christ to become your savior? If not, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for an invitation? I ask you to consider it. I invite you to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior so that you can have, so that you can begin eternal life. And finally, it's a free gift. That's where we started. He's a gift giver. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life In Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gift. And it came because God gave his son a people. And he gave him authority over all flesh. Because then Jesus had the authority to give eternal life to all those the father had given him. During World War II when there were bombs falling on London, they evacuated the children and sent them to countryside homes because they didn't want their children to die. But some children stayed, young teenagers, and they became messengers because they had different bunkers and headquarters and where the bombs falling and who do this. And so they were runners and they'd run around delivering these messages. And there was one, Derek Hearn, 14. He had his message in his hand, printed. The bomb fell, the building fell, he fell. And they saw his legs and they dug him out. (coughs) And he said, Derek Hearn, sir, message delivered. He finished his work. What did Jesus say? It is finished. And the father said, today you are my son. I'll make you king of all the earth, Lord of all flesh, so that you can give eternal life to your people that I have given you. My goodness. My goodness. Let's pray. Father, you are sovereign. The earth is yours and the fullness thereof and all the people that dwell in it. And you've given that authority to your son because he earned it. And you've given him a people. And then you've given eternal life to your people. How precious. Money cannot buy it. There's no value on it. It can only be bought with blood. And not any blood. The blood of the son of God. And our 
Receiving that gift means that we get to know you personally and spend eternity getting to know our Savior better. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being a gift giver. Amen. And now in response, if you would please stand and sing hymn number 310, Rejoice the Lord is King. Again, hymn number 310.